um, most recently we heard Tommy and Bradley a tune called Adam and Eve and started that well it wasn't really set I also heard that last set the Tennessee Chocolate Drops and a tune of theirs called the Knox County Stomp it's from a richer tradition country blues and string band music 1924 to 1942 this is listener supported WPKN in Bridgeport at 89.5 FM I'm Valerie Richardson, and I'm very happy to welcome a couple of special guests um, to the studio. I have across from me Winfred Rimbert. Hi, Winfred. How are you? Hi, Valerie. Nice to have you here this afternoon. Uh, thank you for having me. And if the phone gods are working out okay, I have Vivian Ducat on the phone. Hi, Vivian. Hi, I'm here. Oh, you're here. Hi, Winfred. Hi, hey, Valerie. <laughs> Valerie, sorry. That's that's great, and you sound loud and clear. And um, Vivian is a, a director, of a documentary a creator, and she has recently made a fabulous documentary about Winfred Rimbert, who um, is an amazing New Haven artist. I saw this documentary. When was it at Yale? Two weeks ago? Yes. It was two weeks ago. Um, it was shown at the Yale Art Gallery, and it is going to be there again on June 24th at 3 p.m. in New Haven at the Yale University Art Gallery as part of the Arts, part of the Arts and Ideas Festival. And that is a free showing. And I would strongly encourage you right now to mark your calendars to go and see it. It's just um, su- such an amazing film. And, um, and I'm glad it's gotten me to, um, to, to get a chance to meet both of you. So this is, this is quite a privilege. Um, I guess let's, let's start with um, just, just trying to, you know, Winford, I've, I've seen your work um, for a while now. And as I was saying to you before, I, um, I, Work at the art gallery, so I know Jack Reynolds, who you've um, you've had quite a bit of interaction with, um, and I also at the, am at the Unitarian Society, and, and your work is at all over the place up there. Um, <laughs> and and when I try to tell people about your work, uh, it's it's sort of hard to explain, but it's it's just so it's so beautiful. Um, and and I guess I could ask both of you if, if it's always hard to do um, to talk about the visual arts on the radio. Is there a good website that shows? Um, some of Winfred's work that we could direct people to? Go ahead, Vivian. Sorry. There's the website. It's, um, the website for the film is, uh, it's www.allmethemovie.com. And we have, an, you know, there's clips from the film, and there are some, you'll see it, a number of Winfred's pieces on there. There's actually also, there's, if you, there's, if you go into past exhibitions on the site of the Adelson Galleries in New York, you'll see 44 pieces of Winter's Art, which um, that was the show that actually is where I met Winford. That would be another place to, uh, to see his work. And also his, his, his work's part of a traveling show um, that just left the Hudson River Museum, which also has a website. I think it's hrm.org. And if you look there, you'll see... Um, it, the show is called Amazing Grace. You'll see what some of the pieces look like there. The show is, is touring Greenville, Montgomery, and Flint, Michigan. Oh, so it's, it's really going all over the place. And yeah, and hopefully more places. There are a couple more gaps in the schedule, and we're um, scrambling to think of other places that, that um, the exhibit would be great for. There are many, but who actually have room in their schedule? So you can, um, you who are listening can can go online and, and even just Google on Winfred, Winfred's name, um, and and get a chance to as we're talking about it to to see some of this incredible work. Um, Winfred, you grew up in in Cuthbert, Georgia, and a lot of your your work is really based on your your memories of that that area. Um, and what year were you born? In 1945. 1945. Yes. And and Cuthbert, I looked it up on the map. Um, it's in. Close to Alabama, close to the Alabama line, yeah. toward the su- fifteen part. minutes away from the Alabama line. Yeah, and it's pretty far south. But you know, my family is in Atlanta. Yeah, and um, so it's it looks like it's a good couple of hours or so from yeah, the, the two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Well, what were some of your earliest memories of of Cuthbert? Well, um, my earliest memories is the, the cotton fields. You know, working. Uh, shaking peanuts, picking cotton, pulling corn. And I can remember some of my earliest memories is dad's and my mother uh, taking me to field with her, you know. So, And when I got big enough to go to school around six years old, I, I still remained in the field because um, 
the plantation owner uh, where we lived that uh, told my mother that uh, I would make a good field worker and, and school wasn't for me. So I went on through um, sometime one, two days a week. And by the time I was in the 10th grade, I just couldn't couldn't read or write or anything. So it was kind of tough. So that's when I rebelled. Uh, against my mother's will and all, and I and I left the cotton field around thirteen, fourteen years old. Well, and as a, as a young man growing up, as as it's explained in the in the documentary, you were told by your mother that when white people said something to you or or told you to do anything, you listened to what they said and you never talked back. That's so true, and that's well, you lived on the plantation there and. They were, you know, took care of you and everything you got, you got through them. And so you, I must say, had to do everything they asked. And throughout throughout the town, um, that that was also that was also true. I know um, in, in your work and, and in the documentary, it also talks about, um, I guess, one of the store owners there who it was almost a. a you know, people were were tr- would try to humiliate you, tr- try to humiliate well, anyone who was who was black, who was African American at that time. That's so true. And there was a um, in the black neighborhood um, that uh, that where we lived when we did le- when we did move from the country into the city. Um, <clears throat> my uh, uncle had built uh, Mama a home, and so um, that was a store in that neighborhood called the Wilson Brothers Store. And that's where all the black people went and and uh, bought everything they had to have. And but the Wilson brothers, was, you know, they were prejudiced people, and they said uh, all kind of you know derogatory things to you, you know. So, but that's just something you had to live with. That's the way time was back then, and there was nothing you could do about it. My family, well, I, I actually grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, but um, a lot of my family is um, from the South and from South Carolina, rural South Carolina. And I remember in, um, probably when I was about four or five years old going going with one of my relatives who lived in rural South Carolina to the local health health clinic there and going in and seeing, um, you know, the white people sat on one side and colored people sat on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I, I had never... I never encountered that, and you know this idea that there were two distinct sets of people that one person, one, one group had to be treated differently than the others. And um, yeah, when I was growing up, everything was labeled, you know, colored and white. You know, water fountains, uh, places you buy food at. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, black people had to go to the back and then be sold their goods and their sandwiches are out of a little hole around an eight-inch square, you know, so um, that's the way it was. So you were talking about how you um, you rebelled against your, your mother when, when you were around 13 or 14 and mm-hmm. didn't want to work in the cotton fields anymore. And is that when you you did you did also become involved with the civil rights movement? It was, it was about, two, about two years after that. I probably was about 15 years old when I first went on my first march. And Vivian, to, to bring you into the discussion, um, as, as Winford is talking about some of his, his memories growing up, um, the documentary is, is richly documented with a lot of, a lot of footage, a lot of photographs, and um, this must have been quite a, quite a task of um, a, a job of, of collecting all of this and researching all this. It, it was yeah, it was. Well, I, I mean, I had helped my co-producer and husband Racy who worked on the archival footage, and also Sam Mahone. Sorry. Hello. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Sam Mahone, who's one of the people in the film, um, he he actually um, was a member of SNCC in uh, America, Georgia, and has been working to assemble a lot of materials about the civil rights movement in southwest Georgia with an eye towards creating um, a, a museum about civil rights in the southwest of Georgia. So he knew about certain sources of footage that we wouldn't have known about otherwise because people have brought it to his attention. All these films are always really major group efforts, and um, this one was no exception. Um, and you, you're constantly talking to people because you never know when you talk to them, you may hear a tip about something that you wouldn't have heard otherwise had you not had that last conversation. 
And Winford, I know that your your artwork is really based on your on your memories of this time. Um, and when you talk about being in the cotton fields in your work, you t- you take that that image of the cotton fields and of cotton, and it just becomes this wonderfully beautiful pattern. Um, you know the the way that the way that you depict it, and just the abstract quality of your work is is incredible. But when you're as you were, you know, remembering all this, do you still do you still have a lot of photographs yourself of this time? Did you bring a lot when you moved to New Haven? No, I, well, the only photographs I brought was the ones that's in my head. The ones in your head, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Believe me, uh, when you picked cotton uh, for a amount of years, uh, you don't forget that. Yeah, it's it's toiling work and very hard work, and you know, out in the hot sun, and it gets hot in Georgia, and uh, there's no shade trees in the cotton field, so. You're in the hot sun all day long, and it's it's just tough, tough work. As people who were who were owned the cotton fields and were overseeing your picking, weren't really caring too much about your well-being or your comfort. Probably that's so true. That's so true. All they want is as much cotton as you can pick. You know, yeah. You know what? In the cotton field, they had a person who was black, and he was called uh, the lead person. He would. He would kind of like, uh, okay, everybody, let's go. And, you know, kind of lead you to pick faster and faster all day long. And I think maybe he got um, paid a little extra, a little more than we did in order to have that role. You know, but he was, I mean, he was persistent all day long about workers being fast, you know, and not slow around and tarry. So, uh, selling your soul. Yeah. What kind yeah. of a job was that? <laughs> yep. Well, that was his job. So, uh, I, I'm, you know, I guess, uh, back in those days, he could say that, uh, he had a better job than we had. Mm. You're listening to listener supported WPKN in Bridgeport at 89.5 FM. And I'm Valerie Richardson. I'm on the air right now with, uh, Winford Rimbert, who is a New Haven based artist. Uh, he's here in the studio with me. And speaking to us by telephone is Vivian Ducat. Vivian has just made a documentary about Winfred's life and about his artwork and about his uh, his growing fame as an artist. He's, his work is really getting out there, and he's being recognized for, for the brilliance of what he does. And um, as I was saying earlier, that's going to be shown again in this area on June 24th at 3 p.m. as part of the Arts and Ideas Festival in New Haven. And, and I should say also that this interview will be archived on the WPKN website, so I will, um, I'll will i give you guys information about that um, as, as a little bit later on. Um, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you also about, um, I mean, you're talking about the cotton field and, and the way that some of the images from, from that worked itself into your, your work. And, and, and I remember the, um, you know, I remember, and I remember seeing this too, little kids when they were in the cotton fields with their, their parents would, would get dragged around the cotton sacks. Yes, that's right. I did a couple of pictures called on Mama's Cotton Sack of myself riding on her sack when I was too young to pick. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the way it was. Well, you know, that wasn't... Some kids, uh, they went to school. It's just all depending on uh, uh, how you lived and who you worked for back in those days. Some people let you go to school and some didn't. Mm-hmm. Did you sing a lot? Do you remember a lot of singing when you were in the cotton field? Oh, yes, I do. I uh, I didn't sing a lot, but there was people getting on the trucks in the morning. They were singing, uh, Reverend Alexander... Um, you know, he he had a big family, and that was one of the main things that uh, only thing probably that I liked about the cotton field was when he got on the trucks in the morning because he had a, he had uh, maybe ten, twelve kids, uh, children, and they all sang uh, as we rode along, and they all sang all day long in the cotton field. So that's that was probably one of the only thing joy of being out there. You have a lot of the other characters of of your youth, um, and and a lot of the a lot of people who you very fondly remember in your in your paintings, um, such as your your teacher. I remember that you talking about one teacher who was very um, very important to you. Yes, yes, Miss Prather, and she's she died two years ago, and uh, she was a great teacher. And I think Miss Prather probably felt sorry for me. You know, so when I did go to her class, um, she would never call on me because she she knew that I didn't didn't know anything so my job was to collect the wood for the stove you know we had this big 
big, big stove sitting in the middle of the classroom, and that's how they heated it. They had to put wood and coal in it. So that that, that was kind of my job. So my, my desk stayed empty most of the time. Did you, when did you start drawing? Did you draw? You well, that was, I drew in the classroom because there was nothing else I could do. I, I, I wasn't able to do the work that the teacher had for us to do and, you know, bulletin board work and, and I couldn't read. So um, <clears throat> I was in 14 years old and still couldn't read. So uh, Miss Prather would just give me things to do, like uh, fix the bulletin board, and and because she would, you know, come by my desk and see what I'm doing, and that's all. That's what I'm doing every time she passed by is drawing. So she would like uh, pick out jobs for me to do uh, bulletin board projects and that type of thing. So after so Valerie, one of the things, oh, go ahead. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that. Also, when you make films, you're, you're sort of stuck with what exists out there as, as you know, a photographic um, record. And you were asking Winston whether he had taken pictures. You know, people like people would not have had the money to take pictures. So what I thought what was unique in being able to tell the story is that you have Winston's painting depicting these aspects that don't exist in the photographic record. And so the film is vividly able to tell stories that otherwise maybe people would tell in in fiction or in memoirs, but not, it's very, otherwise very hard to tell in a filmic medium without Winford's pictures. Right, and it really is, you know, so much about about the visual arts as being a storytelling medium, and it's just, you know, in, 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 such, a, in, in such a wonderfully, wonderfully rich way. Um, as you were as you were becoming more involved in in the civil rights movement as a young man, and, and I guess you you did become a go to go to um, specifically, I guess it was a march in Americas. Yes. And, and what happened? What happened at that march? Uh, that particular march, um, uh, one black kid at some time before that march had shot into a, a crowd of white people and hit one kid in the head and killed him as a retaliation of a white gang shot into a, a crowd of black people and killed one. So the, the black guy is he's going to get revenge and that's what happened. So we was we took a bus from Cuthbert there that day and uh, things got out of hand and, and the white people started shooting at us, you know. And so we didn't have any weapons. So all we could do was run. You know, so uh, everybody was running every which way and re- trying to save their life, you know, and I was running and I ran down this alley and uh, I stopped to catch a breath. And when I looked back, these two white people was coming after me with shotguns. So it was a car sitting there with the keys in it. So I took that car. Wow. And I got away for just a little while and I, I got caught and and put in jail stayed in jail for over two years without uh, anyone knowing where, where I were. And and did they did they bring you back to Cuthbert or you were you were still No, I was I was in Cuthbert, yes. You were in Cuthbert. Mm-hmm. When I when I got caught with the car, I was in Cuthbert because I was I came back home in it hmm. from Americas. And then you were able to escape again. I was able to escape after two years in jail. I uh, one day I put a roll of toilet paper in the john and flooded the jail, and the deputy sheriff came back to, and he went in his uh, nigger mode, you know, nigger this and nigger that, and then he kicked me, and then when he kicked me, you know, I, I my idea was to not retaliate on him because mama had always preached that to me white folks do something to you don't strike back because you can't win and so he commenced to kick me time after time and the last time he kicked me it hurt so bad so I decided to fight him and when I you know hit him he and dumped him to the floor he went for his gun and uh, him and I was fighting for the gun and I managed to take it from him wow so I just, I, you know, opened the jail and I locked him in the cell and I fled. So you were out in, out, out in the woods for a little while, but eventually you got caught. Yes, I went to some who I thought was friends' home, you know, who, I, who was somewhat part of the civil rights movement and told them what had happened. And, uh, but the male, uh, <clears throat> the male to that home, he wasn't there. His wife was there, and I told her what happened. So she 
assured me that when he come back, you know, I, I could get some help from him. And she went in the next room and called the police. Oh my God! And told him I was in her home. So, and the next thing I know, I looked in out the window, and there was just so many people out there waiting to come in the house to get me. That that must have been, you know, these these experiences were so, so terrifying, and um, and 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 I think you're probably a, lot, a whole a whole lot of your life it was either. Um, you know, you were always you were always this sort of confrontation. Exactly, was it was uh, very confrontational, all from all from my childhood all the way through. And I, you just you just want to live a normal life. But yes, yes, but you just couldn't live a normal life couldn't. back in those days. Yeah, not in that particular town. Uh, maybe there was some towns that around and somewhat uh, that uh, people dealt with their civil rights uh, civically. But uh, Cuthbert, Georgia, where I'm from, they just it just wasn't that way. They just couldn't deal. You couldn't get anything uh, for black people going. You know, we, we was just was always uh, always down sent things. You know, and done to us. So, and we couldn't do nothing about that. We had to take it. And when when the men came to this home, then you you almost were lynched at that point. Yes, uh, they beat me up and threw me in a car and and took me back to the jail, but they didn't take me out of the car. And this was like twelve o'clock at night, so I sit in that car for four or five hours, and and the next thing I know, I see all these white people coming, and they are coming, so they are coming to get me. And they took me out of there and threw me in the trunk of another car and took me for a ride. It must have been a half an hour, 45-minute ride. And the next thing I know, when they open the trunk, I see all these nooses. Oh, the, man. Yeah, a place designed to hang people. So I thought that was it. And I thought about what Mama said again. You know, you take what they do and you live, you know, so... But uh, I just, for some reason, I couldn't take it. It, just, it. It went too far, you know, and so that was my destiny. Right. Well, it's you. You live, but you don't. You don't really live. Yes. Did you? Were, did you know of a lot of people who had, who had been lynched in that? Area? No, I never know. I only saw the results of the lynching when I was five or six years old. Where this whole family had been lynched. Everything except the wife. Three kids, an uncle and a father, and but I didn't see the the actual lynching itself. I, I saw the very end, and when it, when all the lynchers was gone, and and the uh, mothers and fathers and all was taking them down mm. from the tree. But you you weren't lynched, and uh, and you ended up in prison. Y yes, I did. I ended up in prison. Um, which I thought sometime in prison I might as well have been lynched because prison, well, it's it's, it's two different things. Uh, prison and chain gang, that's two different things. Prison is the institution, you know, where you, you know, everything is kind of formally what run by the rules and regulation. But the chain gang, you know, where they had me was... Uh, there was no rules and regulation and no rights for prisoners. You know, we had to work in the rain. We had to work in, sometimes we were in ditches where the, we're in the water up to our knees in the wintertime. You know, and we, I, I drug around this 10-pound um, ball for three years mm -hmm. before I didn't have any ball, any ball whatsoever to drag around, you know. So and I was kind of somewhat being a model prisoner and somewhat not being a model prisoner because with the 27 years the judge gave me, I didn't see no way I could get out of that. And I didn't see how I was going to be able to do that 27-year sentence on the chain gang. You know, so, uh, but somehow or another, I, I weakened my way through there and got out in seven years. Well, you, uh, it was interesting after the documentary because um, I, had that, I had that question in my mind of how you were able to have a, a lesser sentence, and you explained, you explained it. How, how did that happen? Well, it wasn't a lesser sentence. Um, I, I had the 27, and I was do, in the process of doing that. But for the last uh, five years, I, I wrote a letter every day. And when we go out to work... 
and get near people, I would drop that letter on the ground and hope someone would pick it up and mail it. And after five years, someone picked up a letter that I wrote and mailed it to, uh, I'm trying to say, a congressman out in the state of California by the name of Ronald Dellums. Mm. And the next thing you know, I was getting out in 10 days after that letter. So I don't know. I'm not sure that Ronald Dellums got me out, but that's who I was writing during the time of uh, my release. Because you, you, you believe that he would be able to um, hear, hear your story. Yeah, well, I had uh, tried to call him and ask him, did he remember getting me out? So, And his response was that he they didn't keep archives after 10 years. So he had no proof whether he got me out or not. This is WPKN in Bridgeport at 89.5 FM. I'm Valerie Richardson. I'm here in the studio with Winfred Rimbert, who is an amazing artist, and his life has been documented, documented his life thus far in a wonderful uh, documentary created by Vivian Ducat, who's on the phone here with us. And uh, we've both, mostly been talking about uh, Winfred and his, his life up, to, up till now. Um, and we'll, we'll also talk um, some also about, about this amazing movie. Um, I, I was so moved after it that I, I, wrote, to, I wrote, wrote to Vivian because I, I said, you know, this has to be shown. Lots of people have to see it. It's just such, such an incredible film. Um, when and, and while you were in, while you were in prison, you that's where you learned how to do leather work, which is what your artwork yes. is being made mm-hmm. now. How did how did that happen? Well, I, I was watching this old man. He he had two life sentences, and uh, he was old, and but he did leather work. He 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 made billfolds and shoulder bags, and I and he was a trusted inmate, you know. So I wasn't a trusted inmate, so I used to just stand there to the bars and peek through the bars and look at and look at him just, you know, for hours after hours looking at seeing what he was doing. And so while he talked the warden into letting me come over and and to te- be able to teach me how to do this leather work, and so I, uh, in about two weeks' time, uh, I was on my way to learning about the leather work, and so he changed his mind about teaching me. He took his tools away. Because <laughs> he saw what you were able to do with it. Yes, I, but, but, but listen, that's the best thing that ever happened mm-hmm. when he took those tools away because, listen, that gave me uh, the incentive that I was, I, I was able to do something, and I had to go on with that. So I took some nails and uh, made my own tools. Now, how did you? Um, how 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 were you able to do that? Now, I would think that they would. That yes, they were. They were, but I couldn't keep the tools in the in the cell where I was. Mm-hmm. I had a specific place where they would let me go, and do the leather work. Ah. Oh. As you were, um, you were talking about these letters that you would write to to Ronald Dellums. Also, as you were. Um, while you were out on the chain game one day, I guess you saw a young woman who, who who caught your fancy, and you started writing letters to her, too. Well, yeah, by that time, I um, had made trusted inmate. So this was on somewhere around the sixth year uh, of doing my time. And so, I, well, you know, what happened, this, this kid uh, from Macon, Georgia, was um, he was real good in math. He was an inmate. And um, he was, uh, he used to build roads for the, for the, uh, for the chain gang. And uh, so, and I would hold the rod for him while he looked through the lock level and figure out how much dirt to move and how much to put in and what we have to do to get this highway done. And I asked him to teach me how to do that and he wouldn't do it until he got ready to go home. And when he got ready to go home, he said, uh, and he said, okay, I'm going home in three weeks. I can teach you. And I said, well, why, why you didn't teach me before? He said, because uh, you need to be the only person who know inmate who know how to do this. Because if you're the only inmate that knows how to do this, then you can get a lot of things done. Mm. You know, you won't ever have to go to the sweat box. You don't have to worry about doing. You can break all the rules you want because they're going to have you out there on Monday morning building those roads. So, and that was true. Just what he said. You know, it made me able to be able to do a lot of things, and that's how I met my wife. 
Yeah, she was uh, 16 years old, and uh, I saw her passing by in a truck, and I followed that truck. And uh, but the, the truck went out some place we weren't supposed to be, so I had to turn around. And so just just by the goodness of God, the bridge that lead to her home blew out, and they sent me to fix it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. And so I walked up to her house that day, and she was washing clothes, you know, in the old timey way in the in the in the rub board. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I said, "Excuse me." And she looked around and saw me, and she ran in the house and told her father, "Prisoner was in the yard," and they came back out with the shotgun and all that kind of thing, you know. So because you had you had your uniform on. Yes, I did. I had my uniform on, and. uh but the, her mother intervened with the whole thing and said, you know, hey, you guys are fixing the bridge? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, come on in. It's lunchtime, and you sit down. We can fix a meal. And her mother was real, real good until she found out I was after her daughter. Then she <laughs> she wouldn't fix any more meals, you know. <laughs> so uh, I didn't let that stop me. I kept, you know, trying to... Uh, trying to get her to write me and come and visit me and that time. So... I found out which way her, her school bus go, and I take my machine and I pile a big pile of dirt in the road. So when the bus get there, it's got to stop. <laughs> and then I get off my machine and walk around the school bus until I see her. And then I talk to her, talk to her, and then I let the bus go. And so uh, she, the bus driver finally convinced her to say something to me so that's what happened she finally wrote me and we corresponded in the mail after that until i got out then we got married now the um the the prison uniform the black and white striped uniform is another image just like the cotton fields that that shows up a lot same thing yes and just to um uh, and again i should mention i'm speaking with winford rimbert who's here in the studio with me, an amazing artist, and Vivian Ducat, who is a filmmaker who's made a, a movie about Winfred's life. And and if you were listening to this, you should Google Winfred's name and and just take a look at some of the artwork. Uh, it's, it's leather, tooled and dyed leather, um, but it just transcends um, and any, anything you can possibly imagine listening to the description of it. And you and you use those, those prison stripes. Um, and the movie... Um, is called All Me, and yes. you have one of your paintings, which is you over and over again. Well, the, the All Me, the movie title came from that picture, mm-hmm. All Me, the picture. And um, I named that picture All Me because it's a collage of prisoners, all twined and intertwining. Uh, my idea was, I thought that that's what that what I needed to be to do the time. The things that they uh, demanded from me uh, on the Chang Gang just just was too much for a single man to bear. And I figured I had to be at least 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 people all made in one Mm -hmm. in order to get this done. So I, uh, I came up with that idea of the picture, All Me. And it's all of these inmates all entwined every which way, you know, that's it. So they Vivian. One of my favorite parts one of my favorite parts of the film is actually the way my editor, Mike Silva, has edited together um various all me paintings of Winfred and you it sort of keeps lensing out and the the characters get smaller and smaller, painted in in somewhat different ways, um, from maybe four or five of the paintings. It's really powerful. And I think it's worth yeah. One thing that's really struck me about you, Winfred, since I've I've known about you, um, I hadn't I hadn't met you till today, um, but I, I have known about your work through um, through work at the Yale Art Gallery and and also seeing your your work a lot up at the Unitarian Society. That's I think that's where I first I first saw. It. But you you're someone who um, you're you're able in in being all me to really you know think on your feet and meet people and and you know in the way that you met your wife and the way that you sent letters to, to ronald dellums uh, that that's quite an amazing ability i think <laughs> gee well you have to do what you have to do you do you know that sometimes well when you came up like i did you know sometime uh, not knowing where the next meal came from and working hard you know from the time you're able to walk working in the fields you know and and you come up like that you you kind of have something 
in your mind that pushes you on, that tell you you have to make it, and and you have to be successful. And so that's the attitude that I get. It didn't, it, you know, I no one wants to be uh, in the prison or on the chain gang, but that was a good thing for me. You know, I learned a lot, probably more than I would ever learn in the street. And I'm not saying, you know, that you have to go to the Chang'e to become an artist, you know. I'm not saying that, but, um, you know, I learned a lot of things there. And, um, you know, how to be a man, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how to live. And, and and then I met my wife there, and that's another thing, you know. So And, and, and we had family, so there was no room for me to carry any chips on my shoulder. I, I knew I was going to have children. And I knew that that uh, I have to be a real father for them to come up in this world. You know, if they was going to take after their father, then I had to do some right things for them to look up to me and be able to want to be like me. So that's that's kind of way I took that. So you moved up after you after you, you and your wife were married. Uh, you did move up to the New Haven area, and you worked as a longshoreman. Yes, I worked at a shipyard for until I got hurt out there, and. And then uh, that's when this artwork came along. After I after I got hurt as a longshoreman, I, we we I didn't have a job, you know, and we yeah. didn't have we didn't have no income coming in, you know, and, and we was naive. We didn't know about the welfare and that type of thing, you know. So, well, I had to hustle and bustle and and do day work and do this and that, you know, and 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 um, so we could make ends meet, you know. So. And then one day my wife said, as, you know, because I, st- I tell stories around the table of my life, you know, growing up as a child. And, uh, you know, and we got seven kids and um, they, I'm telling them these stories. And all of a sudden my wife jumps up one day and she's, oh, that's it. Uh, well, you can put those stories on leather because if you don't, they're going to be gone and no one ain't going to know about them. Mm. So, and I, you know, I said, oh, that ain't going to work. You know, but guess what? It worked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she was right. <laughs> now, I know that. I think actually Winford has an uncanny ability to, to talk across kinds of people, way back to an earlier point. I mean, I think not a lot of people can sort of spend their day switching between as many scenes and kinds of worlds as he does. It, it ultimately was what informed the structure of the film. Somebody had, um, one of the executive producers had wanted us to do a more chronological take. But we felt very strongly that the film should have an almost impressionistic quality of going back and forth in sort of amongst the worlds that Winter Rembert crosses with each day because he really does live between his collectors, wealthier people, people from his neighborhood, all kind. He really does have an uncanny ability to speak to anybody and just sort of be almost a chameleon. Well, that's that's the first story I heard. I heard about Winfred and. Um, um and you did as you were as you were starting to create your artwork. You were um, friends with the McBlains, who are part of the Unitarian Society. Um, they own a, a, a rare bookstore in Hamden, and, and they showed some of your work. But then you also, um, and, and they've they've been. I know the Unitarian Society have been very good friends of yours. Mm-hmm, a number mm-hmm. of people there. You've also uh, met Jock Reynolds, who is the director of the Yale Art Gallery. Oh, that was a miracle when I met him, yes. I mean, why'd you tell that story? That's a great story. <laughs> well, you know, I was reading in the paper where they was going to have, uh, you know, some deep-pocket rich people getting together there on the New Haven Green to discuss housing and and, and for artists. And just one thing and another they had to do with artists. So, But um, you couldn't get in there, you know. You had to be invited, so... I kind of like uh, dressed up real nice and got me a briefcase, uh, like I was a businessman. So, and I went, I bust, I, I crashed that that meeting that morning, and all those, you know. And so, when everybody was talking, and I listened, I listened, and at the very end, I stopped the the show and said, and and I said, "Excuse me, I'm an artist, and I want to show some of my work." And up under my arm, I had a piece rolled up, and I unrolled it, and then they bum-rushed me. (laughs) Everybody wanted to know what that was and how was I able to do that. And uh, so Jock asked me that I have any more, the director of the Yale Art Gallery, he asked me that I have any more of that type of work because he hadn't seen anything like that. 
And so he, I said yes. And that very next Wednesday, he was right there, and he was putting all of the work all over the floor and this type of thing and comparing it to now I know these artists, but at that time I didn't know who Horace Pippen and and those guys were, you know, so those other black artists. And uh, so he said, he looked at me and said, how'd you like to have a show at the Yale Art Gallery? And I said, well, <laughs> I really would. That would be nice. And three months after that, the show was going. Mm. And that was my big break because that Sunday morning, I was in the um, New York Times. And I had some pictures and working and people from every which way in Long Island and everywhere I was bum rushing my home mm. and, you know, and that's kind of how I, I got started and the popularity went with the work through the Yale Art Gallery and that was about what 10 years ago or not quite 10 years ago it was 10 years ago Yeah, and it's kind of like uh, you know if the Yale Art Gallery say if your work is good then they and that, that can't be questioned too much that can't be questioned too much <laughs> yes and then you were uh then, I guess three years ago, you had your uh, your big New York show at the Adelson Gallery. Oh, and that was two. So, that was two fantastic. Years. Was it two years ago? Two years. No, two, it was twenty ten. That's that's how that's how Vivian and I met. Uh -huh. yeah, well, she could tell you that story. Yeah, Vivian. <laughs> oh, I went to a benefit for the Children's Museum of the Arts in Lower Manhattan, um, a program on autism and and the arts that one of my children attends, and I went, you know. As to support another organization, walked into this Madison Avenue gallery, not the usual place I go, and saw this really astounding, powerful art all over the walls. Um, not much said in terms of writing, not much explained. Um, turned around, saw the man who must have been the artist, went up to him, asked him where he learned how to do it, and he said, prison. And then um, I asked him another question. He told me the story that he just told you about meeting Patsy and told it in you know the most beautiful way. Uh, you know, every time Winfrey tells a story, it's different. I'm sitting here listening, and some of these are the same stories that I've heard. But every time he tells them, they're they're another they're another work of art. Um, and I met Winfrey there. I said to the gallery, I, I wrote them an email that evening and said, you know, if Winfrey weren't standing there, well, I wouldn't have known all of this background. Wouldn't it make sense to have a small film that I could make for you about the artist? They called me in the next week. We made the small film within a few weeks. Um, and then it took another few months to really convince them what I saw in the making of the short film, which was that there was a much bigger story about, you know, um, the level of segregation that went on way past the civil rights movement, the, the idea of chain gangs way past the 1940s, all this kind of stuff that you, that people assume was long over and wasn't and should be, you know, is Winter's what, you know, the Winter's very life represents and it took a while, but I, we convinced them that there was a longer film to be made and well, we made it. So there's one of these, you know, things that I went to that maybe I would have not gone to and decided to go and it really changed my life. Yeah, I, th I think Winfred, everyone who meets you seems to have the same reaction of, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's an honor to it's an honor to meet you and 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 to, you know be be witness to your life story. It's really incredible. No, thank you very much. And I am speaking with Winfred Rembert, and he's here in the studio with me. He's an amazing artist based in New Haven. Again, if you are listening to this and and have the ability, you should go to your computer and Google his name. If you don't know his work already, uh, just to take a look at um, what we're talking about. It's you can't explain it in words. It's uh, it's it's incredible. And Vivian Ducat is on the phone. Vivian has made a documentary about Winfred's life called All Me. There will be a showing in New Haven on June 24th at 3 p.m. as part of the Arts and Ideas Festival. And and Vivian, since this movie came out uh, a few months ago, you've you've taken it a number of places, and it's won a number of awards. The film came out actually; it, was, it premiered at the Hampton Film Festival in September, in October. It won a silver medal at the Chicago Film Festival. It won the Audience Award in Salem, Massachusetts, and it won. Honorable mention from the um, Association of Women Film Journalists, um, and because we won um, the Audience Award in Salem, we're going to have a week run at the Cinema Salem in Salem, Massachusetts, starting June first. There's going to be six showings of the film. Um, we've been everywhere. I mean, we had a screening in the Library of Congress that Charlie Rangel, my congressman, gave us. We've been 
the Sarasota Festival, the Atlanta Film Festival. Um, it, it sort of, we, we just won the um, honorable mention in a long format category at the Newark Black Film Festival. So it's going to show in a movie theater in Newark, New Jersey on August 1st. I mean, almost a day doesn't go by. I got an email a few days ago about an art film festival in Florence, Italy, wanting to see a copy of the film. This afternoon, I got an email from the Chesapeake Film Festival in Maryland asking for a copy. I mean, those are requests that doesn't mean absolutely they've gotten in, but I didn't have to go after them. They came after me. So it almost seems like every time I open my email, there is some, somebody else who's heard about the film. We're going to be written about in a very um, substantial British um, art film newspaper called the art newspaper in the month of june i was that was just confirmed yesterday so you you know we've, we've gotten an amazing amount of attention and the it's film very heartening um the film as you were as you were describing it does go back and forth between different times of of winford's life and and it really is what it builds up to is him returning to cuthbert as now a successful artist and seeing the people that he remembers from his youth, and uh, and then having a show, having a show oh, there. Oh, that was great! And having a show in Albany, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when was that last? Would that have been last summer? Last uh, when, when did you have the show? That was in October. It was just before Halloween. It was uh, the, the opening, which is a scene in the film, was, was October thirtieth, twenty ten. Um, we chose to do the exhibit in Albany rather than in Cuthbert because it's a bigger place. It's the home of a historically black college, Albany State, and and it has, you know, there's an NBC affiliate. We sort of felt like we could do more publicity and get a bigger core of people. It's about 50 miles from Cuthbert. Um, so that's why we did it there. But for Winford, I think it was incredible because it was really, you know, his his people rather than you know, people who would attend the Madison Avenue Gallery who are not really from much from the world that Winford knows. And I've also seen an aspect of you, Winford, that you really want to tell your story to young people too. You were you 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 work a lot with young people, right? You've been you've been teaching. Yes, some? I I I do, but the, um, for some reason, uh, all of the schools I get invited to are white schools. Mm -hmm. I just only had uh, last week at the co-op uh, had black students to talk to you know so out of the uh, what five or six years I've been doing this so you don't know being invited to different places and uh, speak about life and about my life and about my schooling and, and you know and I, was, I would just kind of like to get some black audiences you know to talk to sometimes so uh, but I do enjoy that, you know, and I get a lot of response back. I get a lot of letters from the kids that I talk to, you know, and it just kind of makes me feel good knowing where I came from and to get a letter from a kid saying, Mr. Rembert, you changed my life. Yeah, when I hear something like that, I mean, that's just the greatest thing to me, you know. Right. Well, I think I, I think for anyone here in your life, I mean, my my life has been a very easy life and to have seen what you've overcome, um, how you've how you transcended the grace that you have in your life, it's just it's really amazing, and and that is such a such an incredible lesson to give to to pass on to a young person. Too. Yes, it, yes. So th so the words out there, if you are a, if you are an educator, if we have any listening here in the Bridgeport area, or uh, our signal also goes very strongly out to yes. uh, to Long Island yeah. and up to New Haven, so. Um, you you would very much like to to go and talk to some other yes, some I, other youth. That would be a lot of fun. It was fun going to your opening. It wasn't the opening. The um the showing of the of the documentary at the Yale Art Gallery a couple of weeks ago because your your family was there. You had a lot of your kids. There, oh right? yes yes uh, they're they're really happy um, about that. I'm because they hear the story. They've been hearing the stories ever since they came into this world. You know, and for me to being able to tell them to other people, you know, it's a great thing for them. So as you were um, as, as you were doing these paintings, um, I mean, you, you've gone through some hard, hard experiences. You know, you're being almost being lynched on the chain gang. Has a lot of this um, been things that you've, as you've been doing the artwork, you've been able to more talk about it? To um, well, sometimes you know, I sometimes I have to be on medication in order to 
do some of these pictures and to talk about some of them because uh, you know, and sometimes I I really get sick when I when I talk about them. So I got a good doctor and uh, she's giving me the right type of medication so I could be able to continue to do this work. Mm. Now you have a you have a sister also. Is she still down in Georgia? No, she's um. It's in uh, Rochester, New York. Oh, okay. Yes, Lorraine. That's, she was raised up in the house. We were raised up in the house together. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Vivian, uh, Vivian went up to see her during the making of the movie. Is that right, Vivian? Yeah, I feel bad. Yeah, I feel badly. Actually, Lorraine has missed a lot of these screenings. After a while, you know, we've been we've shown the film so many times now, and people who live closer than Rochester, some you know, have been able to come and be part of it. Um, and unfortunately, Lorraine is just a, a few miles too far north to have enjoyed all of these audiences and experiences that we've had in the last six months. Mm. So, Winford, so she's seen the film and she likes it. So, so the two of you have been traveling to all these different festivals together. Yeah, Vivian and I, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And my kids and my husband. It's been <laughs> and and Patsy or Lily, and so we've been, you know, we've spent a lot yeah. of time on the road together. It's been wonderful. I'd like to say that. Uh, uh, Ray Siegel, uh, Vivian's uh, husband, uh, is a great. Uh, he 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 knows how to find people. Mm-hmm. You know everybody that I talked about in my life and kids I grew up with. Uh, he went and found them. You know, and it, and then t- at that party at the end of the film, all those faces you see are people that he found that I grew up with, and that 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 party was just the most fantastic thing that ever happened. I can hardly. <laughs> I can hardly bear to watch yeah. that part of the film. Well, I think they even... Well, it's because it's the end of the film, so it keeps Winford watching to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, th- I think I think you told a story at the, at the Yale Art Gallery a couple of weeks ago, too, that um, you were in a band, and, and, and there was one person that you hadn't found that they just found, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but we got him. Uh-huh. Yeah, got him. He's supposed to be to my house tomorrow. He, he lives in Tallahassee, Florida. <gasps> The first time you've seen him? That's the first time I've seen him in 40 so years. Oh, that's so wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hog. That's, yeah. that's, that's his nickname, Hog. <laughs> but his name. And Winford's nickname was Pike. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody had a nickname back in those days. I, knew, I never knew anybody's real name. <laughs> you know? You're. Um, the documentary also shows a lot about your life now in New Haven and, and just being with the neighborhood kids and how much of a center of your community there you are, really. Mm. I, I, love the, I love the part with the pig roast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I get a lot of people doing the pig roast. Everybody comes on, you know, all the, all the people from the street and everything stop, you know, because I, you know, I can't really can't eat a whole pig, you know, be a lot better. So we just kind of like give it to everybody. My my like the main <clears throat> turkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My my family in South Carolina does pig roasts like that too, and they you know they get the pig and then they build the pit and and then they uh, the the you know everyone sits up all night with a pig and, and I think that's the most fun that they have. Yeah, it guys. is. They it sit is. they sit up all night and they yeah. drink and they tell stories. And yeah, yeah. Everyone's a little fun. bit grumpier the next day. That's but, a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and and you guys seem to make a lot of music together too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's Patsy playing the saxophone. I don't know where in the world she get that from, but uh <laughs> you know, she's been begging me ever since we were married to get a saxophone, so and she can't play it so but I have to tell her she can play it. <laughs> so along with the showing of this movie on uh, the movie documentary All Me on June twenty fourth at three o'clock at the Arts and Ideas Festival, Yale Yale Art Gallery. In New Haven, uh, are there other locations close by that uh, people can see the movie if they're listening, or if they're? Um, we do have listeners on Long Island. If they're, um, is it Vivian? Um, well, I mean, Salem, Massachusetts is one that's coming up um, the first week in June. Um, it's showing in San Francisco, actually, August twenty third at the Museum of the African Diaspora. What about the? What about the New York area? Do we get to go back to Brooklyn? New York area, it's, it's, um, we're going to have it. Actually, uh, over uh, Mother's Day, the evening before Mother's Day, I was sitting outside a cafe, and a guy came up to me who had seen it when we showed it in a Parks and Recreation um, building in Harlem, and he is the head of, or one of the heads of the local neighborhood organization, and he says that they're working on the screening date um, in New York City in Marcus Garvey Park on 120th and 5th. If, if the weather holds up to have an outdoor screening in, a, in an arena that holds 500 people, 
Um, we're also definitely getting a screening um, at the Maple Cinema, which is an art house on 127th and Lex. Um, yeah, so you know, the, everything is. I can't. I I know what's been plotted out, and then there are millions of other things that we fill in on the site for the film, which is www.allnewthemovie.com. We have a screening page that gets updated every week. Um, so if you check there. Um, there, there may be something, you know, near you. I have nothing planned immediately on Long Island, but, you know, tomorrow it could be in my email. You never know. <laughs> Newark, New Jersey, August 1st, so that's a definite. Um, and uh, probably July for some of the, the Manhattan screenings. Well, I and I hope I hope for for both of you and and also for everyone else in the world um, that this does get a, a large release. This This is really a film that should be seen by a lot of people. You can actually download it, even though I don't. I have trouble thinking about this as the way you see a movie. But you can see it on Xbox, on iTunes, and on Amazon. There are links to where you can get it. If you go to our website and go to the banner, there are links to the film where you can go onto any one of those sites and just Google "All Me: The Life and Times of Winfred Rembert. And I think it's something like thirteen or fourteen bucks to buy it, or I think three ninety nine on Amazon to rent it for three days. But I think it's much more fun, honestly, to see it on the big screen. And my dream is that it will get a release that, you know, really stays out there. I know it's harder and harder these days because movies tend to be lost, particularly documentaries and theaters. But that's what I would want for this film. Well, it, yes, it does. It does deserve to be seen on a large screen because Winford is definitely larger than life. And, and <laughs> need, needs a, needs and the a, art and the detail in the artwork and even the detail in the scenery is very hard to see on the small screen. And you really... It looks fantastic when it's projected, you know, with great equipment. Um, you can see things that you never could see. You can see out the window. And you would for interviewed in his home, and the, we actually adjusted the color so you could look out the window and see what's going on the street behind him. Maybe we really haven't talked a lot about your career. What uh, what other things have you done uh, with along with this this movie? I've made about twenty long format films. I made a film for the American Experience on PBS and. 1995, about the last Queen of Hawaii, Louie Apolani. Um, I've done films for major PBS series on all kinds of topics, from sort of science to history to whatever. I worked, I was trained at the BBC in, in a film director's training class and worked on a series there, the story of English. I went back there and worked on a series on post war Japanese history, a series on um, railroads as big business. Uh, in the 19th century. I mean, I've, I've done, in the last decade, I've been doing short films for, and, and interactives for museums, almost as a way to not have to travel so much because of family. But I, you know, I've never done the, uh, the definition of a feature-length film between 70 and 90 minutes. And I think until I did the film, it went for the longest film I had made was 56.45, I think, which is the PDF cutoff. Um, so it's, this was harder in ways because because there was a personal element that had to be juggled. I mean, there was a dramatic element on top of a just straight storytelling element, so it was challenging. Um, and there was a way in which it couldn't be too didactic. It couldn't be too much about the the sort of external history, and on the other hand, all of that context had to be there also. So I always wondered if we were going to get it right and when it was going to feel right, and it actually did it at some point, but I, I wouldn't have bet that it was going to get to that point. Yeah, and it's 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 definitely one of the the most heartwarming films I've I've seen. Just um, really, I mean, it's it's it's. I was I was crying at the end of it. It's just so it's so beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. You know, it's funny when I haven't seen it. When I go for weeks without seeing it, I'm I move by it again. I mean, I it, you know, it's not about the filmmaking. I will say it's about the man and the story. Well, speaking of filmmaking, I know that you have a film to go to from that your son has made, and my I think twelve-year, my twelve-year-old's latest animated film is being shown as an end-of-term um, thing. I'm half block away from where I have to be. I plotted my life so I would be nearby for our interview, but I do need to leave to be a good mother. Um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed talking to you in Winford, and actually, my whole family will be up in New Haven area um, over Memorial Day, and my older son is agitating at Winford and Piglow, so maybe we'll all get together there. Okay, Vivian, I'll see you then. See you then. Bye. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Valerie. And okay, bye well, to your audience. Thank you. It's nice, nice to meet you and speak with you. 
And um, so, Winfred, I will. Um, I guess we'll we'll close it out. Um, close it out now. There's. Uh, but I just uh, again want to say what you know, it's an incredible honor to meet you. Uh, beautiful work. Thank you. And um, Thank you know, you. I hope our, our paths will cross again. Yeah, I'm happy you had me. Yes. Yes. And I will. Um, I have your email address and I have Vivian's email address. So this interview will be um, is, is being recorded. So it, it'll also be available if you um, anyone wants to listen to it afterwards. Okay. So. Great. So thank you. And thank you. Um, We'll continue on and we'll play a little bit more music right now from this um, CD called A Richer Tradition, Rare Sides Remaster, Country Blues, and String Band Music from 1924 to 1942. Um, again, thanks to Vivian Ducat and Winfred Rimbert, who has been here in the studio with me. The movie All Me will be shown on New Haven on, in New Haven on June 24th at 3 p.m. as part of the Arts and Ideas Festival. And I'll... We'll be hearing a lot more about it in the next um, the next few weeks, but I can tell you that WPKN is one of the festival sponsors, media sponsors this year for the Arts and Ideas Festival. But maybe instead of hearing the older music, we'll go to the uh, Carolina Chocolate Drops, if I can get them up here. Uh, Carolina Chocolate Drops are one of the headline performers, one of the live performances on the green. I don't have the exact date in front of me. But I know that we'll be doing um, some VIP packages for this concert on the Green in New Haven, part of the Arts and Ideas Festival. Uh, we're going to have some some reserved seating. So, so let me see if I can get this up. And we will um, listen to the Carolina Chocolate Drops. They are a younger group. They are from North Carolina. And uh, here's some of their music.
she starts to run. Ah, Jackson, what you gonna do? He got down on all fours. Man, she started to run. She had that boy's big paychecks. The gals, I had some fun. I had the boodle bomb bomb. I had the boodle bomb bomb. I had the boodle bomb, boodle bomb, boodle bomb bomb. Share. They're building. 